wearing your medicine. This is a very, very old tradition where different cultures would wear sacred garments, textiles Mm -hmm. that were dyed with plants and they would be used for ceremony work. They would be used for going into battle. Cultures would put plant colors on their body. So there's very old traditions of using plants as color, wearing it on your body for protection, for healing. I know Ayurveda has a really lineage around medicinal clothing, the plants infused in the fibers. I remember this moment, it was like 10 years ago now, it dawned on me that the plants that I love that have brought so much healing to my life are the same plants that I use to make color that I wear in the fibers that I dye. You're listening to Plant Love Radio, episode number 61. Welcome to Plant Love Radio, a place where you'll discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and resilient life through the wonders of herbal medicine. I'm your host, Lana Camille, a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. You'll love my amazing guests, herbal teachers, clinicians, medicine makers, growers, and artists. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Last year, I met several plant artists, and I can't wait to share with you the beauty and healing powers of their creations. Jennifer Johnson is a plant dye fiber artist. She's a farmer and a medicine maker. Over a decade ago, she discovered how to use plants for natural dye and as a result found her path and passion. Jennifer creates beautiful and unique botanical print and plant dyed fiber art. Her family runs a single source dye farm. This is where they organically grow all the plants used to make incredible vibrant colors, calling them farm grown color. The botanical prints Jennifer creates are also made using fresh plants. Each piece is inspired by nature and captures a season in time. Jennifer has found plants to be a source of great healing and her inspiration in creating plant-dyed pieces. She believes that the spirits of the plants live in the fibers. So when you wear your masterpieces, you connect with the healing spirit of plants and wear your medicine. During today's episode, we'll talk about what it means to wear your medicine, how plants can be used as natural dyes, and where can someone get started on this beautiful art, and why plant art in general can help you to uncover a deeper way of healing. Today, Jennifer and her company, Plant Spirit Fibers, is kindly supporting this episode of Plant Love Radio. She is raffling off one of her gorgeous creations, a mini plant-dyed silk scarf for the listeners of this podcast. To participate, please head over to ko-fi.com slash plantloveradio to enter into the raffle. To get the resources Jennifer shares and amazing pictures and videos, please head over to the show notes at plantloveradio.com slash 61. Enjoy. Good morning, Jennifer. How are you doing? Good morning, Lana. I'm doing great. I'm so excited to talk to you today about plants. I am thrilled to have you here. We met about a month ago at a a winter herbal market, and I ended up being one of your customers because I fell in love with your work. I have to bring you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're an artist. You're an herbalist. Tell us a little bit of how it uh, all started for you. So yes, I'm a plant dye artist. All of the colors that I use are made from plants that we grow on our farm. We call it farm-grown color or a single-source dye farm. So how did I get into the plant dye work? Mm -hmm. So the story, I believe, started a very long time ago. It's hard to know quite exactly when it began. But I would have to say it goes back to my childhood. 
I spent a lot of time outside in nature. Mm-hmm. I lived in um, a suburban area right on the edge of the countryside of Maryland. And I was lucky that there was a great natural area, a large body of water with lots of woods and trails around. And I would just spend so much time out in the woods with my little brother or alone. And we would actually walk for miles. We would be Mm -hmm. gone all day and we would go out into the woods. And I can remember very um, clearly a moment when I was young, I remember being by myself out in the woods and just stopping and being aware of this presence of the trees it was the trees first that really spoke to me and just having feeling the sense of um, awe and longing and connection mm-hmm. and it just stopped doing me in my tracks I just felt like this deep um, longing to be in connection with this energy I was feeling and so that was a big part of my childhood another part of my childhood was always working with art I got into art very young whether it was drawing or painting. I was very interested in expressing myself through creative art at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And in the house growing up, we had this little loft area. It was not very large. And the peak, I could only stand in the peak of it. I had an art desk there and I had all my art supplies and I would go kind of escape to my art loft for hours and hours. And for me, as a young person, it was a time when I could be alone. And it was an opportunity to go deep inside of myself and explore what was happening in my inner world and bring that to the paper. When you're making art, if you're by yourself, it's a time when you have complete authority and you Mm -hmm. can make decisions and draw out whatever you need to draw out. And it's deeply, um, it's deeply meditative experience. So I'm really grateful that that called me at a very young age. Oddly enough, I think another influence was my deep love of children. Mm -hmm. When I was 10 years old, I met this little baby. And in the summers, I would go over to their house like every chance I could to spend time with this young child. I think it was because I saw in this child this like deep openness and the purity and innocence. And this was so beautiful to me that I wanted to be around so those were early influences. As I got older, like when I hit preteen, the teenage years, I think what happened was the social pressure. I fell to some of the social pressure. That age is so hard. And I didn't have any mentors. I was not in a very um, earth-honoring culture at the time. And so it was a hard time to navigate. And so when it came time to decide what am I going to do in the world and mm-hmm. college, I I wasn't really encouraged to be an artist. That seemed to be the road to um, poverty, perhaps. So I was thinking, well, how can I use my art to get a job? That was sort of the message that was being Mm -hmm. told to me. So I decided to use my art to do graphic design. So I went to college to study graphic design. And I very quickly learned that this was not the field for me. And college was also a really hard time to fit in just for me with the, you know, the college scene. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother story. So I did finish college and I did not go into graphic design, but I spent some time traveling and doing some soul searching. And I decided that my love for children and art and nature that I wanted to be a teacher. Okay. So I pursued paths for becoming a teacher. I f- very quickly found the work of Rudolf Steiner mm-hmm. in Waldorf education, and it really resonated with me, the, the reverence for the child and using art and music and creativity and movement and all these different ways. And the reverence for the developing human being really spoke to me. And so I wanted to um, pursue this training to be able to bring art to children, to access my creativity through art. So I did the Waldorf teacher training and I trained for the grades and then I did the early childhood training and it was in one of my classes. The idea is that young children are like open sense organs. They're Mm -hmm. very open to the world. And so you want to fill their environment with beautiful things like natural wooden materials, wool, cotton, silk. You want to create a very beautiful environment. So in one of my classes and my training, we were outside 
and we had these big dye pots and the teacher had purchased plant dye extracts Mm -hmm. that we were using and we were dyeing silk and these big dye pots. And I mean, it was, it was a huge moment for me to see the fiber going into the pot and the colors that were coming out. So that was my first experience using plants for natural dye. And so I did that in my classroom and this was out in Oregon at the time I was living, I was teaching and living. And so when it came time to move, I wanted to move back East, which is where I'm from. And I really wanted to live in Vermont. And so that's what we moved. I moved to Vermont and was teaching at a Waldorf school in Vermont. And then I had a little piece of land. I moved in in the fall and that first winter, I just felt this deep longing to grow plants more. So Mm -hmm. all winter I was studying gardening and permaculture design and I had all my gardens planned. So I started working with the land. I started Mm -hmm. to create a relationship with myself and the land, getting my hands in the dirt, growing plants. And it was, it was a year or two after that. And I, I was still working as a teacher and I just wondered who are these dye plants? Can I grow the plants I use for natural dye? Is that even possible. I had no idea mm-hmm. that this, this curiosity was piqued in me. And so I was at a friend's wedding and I said, oh, well, you should talk to this person over there about it. And mm-hmm. so I did. Her name is Joanne Darling and she is just a, a wonderful fairy goddess of the garden. And she knows so much about plants and plant dye and fiber arts. And as soon as we met, we just had a fast friendship right away and we started collaborating together and we hosted all kinds of plant dye workshops together and she would teach and I had space on my farm to offer the classes. And so it was through meeting her that I first began to grow the plants and just the very beginning steps of dyeing. And just to honor some of my other teachers, Kate Smith of the Marshfield School of Weaving it's a school in Vermont. She is an incredible powerhouse of knowledge about natural plant dye and weaving. So she came to my farm to teach. And Rebecca Burgess of California of the Fiber Shed Movement, she came to the farm to teach and share her wisdom. So my journey began with teachers, learning from teachers and reading lots of books about plant dye. But really, you know, I think this is often the case. I learned the the most about plant dye by being with the plants, by starting the plants from seed, by putting them in the garden, putting them in the soil, sitting with them, watching them grow, cultivating them, weeding them, just learning who they are. Mm-hmm. Then having the opportunity to see the whole process through and harvest the plants and put them in the dye pot. And there's so much learning that happens that you just can't get from a book. The plants through the work of plant dye have really been a thread um, through my whole life, sort of calling me back to this journey. Um, This is really, really fascinating, but I want to take you one step back. When we're talking about dyes, talk to us about the tradition of dyeing. Where is it coming from? When the natural dyes began to be utilized and how this whole field and area has evolved. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, plant dyes have been used, I mean, for at least 6,000, if not more years. They found, recently found remnants in the Andes of Peru of Mm -hmm. textiles that were um, dyed with indigo. Mm -hmm. These are very, very old traditions and on all the continents of the planet, people are using plants for natural dye. China, Japan, India, South America. It can be found all over. The tradition that I really resonate with and the idea of wearing your medicine, this mm-hmm. idea that I talk about a lot with my work. And it's because this this is a very, very old tradition where different cultures would wear sacred garments, textiles Mm -hmm. that were dyed with plants and they would be used for ceremony work. They would be used for going into battle. Cultures would put plant colors on their body. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's very old traditions of using plants as color, wearing it on your body for protection, for healing. I know Ayurveda has a really Mm -hmm. old lineage around medicinal clothing, the plants infused in the fibers. 
So that really resonates with me and my work. I mean, that's really the reason why I do what I do is that experience that you can have a healing relationship with the plant. Like say that it's yarrow. Yarrow is a plant that's been really important to you and your journey and you have a healing relationship with the plant, whether it's something you take internally or just an experience you have of the plant. And then, you know, you go out into the field and you harvest the yarrow plant, right? Make an offering first. And that's mm-hmm. a sacred experience to harvest that plant and you bring it back to your pot you put it in and you cook it hopefully over an open fire and you're, you're stirring your pot and you get the experience of the aroma filling all your senses. And then you strain out the plant and then you put your fibers and you pull it out and it's this brilliant yellow. And now you have your fibers infused with this plant that you have this deep healing connection to. Mm-hmm. And you can wear that plant on your body to remind you that that connection is always with you, that these plants are always available to offer their wisdom. I mean, plants, I mean, plants are so old. There's so much that we can learn from plants. The opportunity is there. And I feel that by wearing fibers infused with the plants and the colors of the plants, it's another way to nurture that healing relationship. It's a beautiful reminder to each one of us of the wisdom that they carry and everyday reminder that we see on us every time you look in the mirror. It's so poetic and so beautiful. We talked a little bit about the history of dying or the traditions, but I also want to ask you to talk about the differences between uh, natural dying and the commercial processes or synthetic dying that we see today. Why is it important to use plants for natural dyes? Well, for many reasons. One is um, the synthetic dye industry is one of the most um, toxic industries that we know of. There's, there's a long history of polluting our water and the soil. There's just so many chemicals involved. And until the 1860s, there was only plant dye was being used to make all the colors that we historically know of. So when you use plants for natural dye, you're not using all these chemicals. And it's a very simple answer that the plant dyes I work with are completely non-toxic. And not only that, but by growing the plants, you have pollinator plants for the, the insects and the bees, and you're adding to your environment. You're, you're um, cultivating something beautiful for the land rather than creating something that's going to... Um, hurt the land. When you look at synthetic dyed fiber versus plant dyed fiber, like you really you can feel there's a different vibration. And it happens to me a lot when I go to these these art shows and mm-hmm. I have my booth set up and I have my rainbow of color and people will come into the booth. They're you know they're coming to an art show to look at art. And then they stumble into my booth and sometimes people will just stop and they'll look around me like what? what is this? They can just like mm. some energy in the, in the colors. And I start talking to them about, Oh, well, all these colors are dyed from plants that we grow. And they're like, Oh, and they just like awaken something. It, it, like just seeing the plant colors around them, I think does something to their senses or energetically. And then often we start talking about plants and then they start talking about this healing thing they had just been through and then suddenly we're just having these like deep conversations at an art show and I feel like it's just a a way like using these plant dyes is just a way to help people access the plants and talking about plants and talking about healing and sharing that wisdom which is a big reason why I do what I do is because I want to bring the healing wisdom of plants to people through color and beauty And it's such a powerful way of doing it. And this is exactly the experience that I had when I saw your booth and the rainbow of colors and just the beauty of it. I was immediately drawn to it. And I was like, okay, I have to try these things. I have to figure out what they are. There is a very different feel to it. So I completely agree with you. Jennifer, can you tell me a little bit more about the connection to your herbal roots? How has this helped you to grow in your own work? Yes, that's a really important question. I've always been a very highly sensitive person. Um, Ever since childhood, I've been very empathic. 
And I didn't have that awareness as a child, but it was very difficult to fit in, how high school was hard for me. It didn't look like it on the outside, but on the inside, I really struggled with my sensitivity. And so by the time I got to college, it all really came to a head. And when I was like 20, 21, I experienced several traumatic experiences. And so I think whenever you experience some kind of trauma, that it often can lead you into a deep healing journey. I don't know if it ever um, stops, but we're always on this journey. I cut all ties from everything that was familiar. I took off and I traveled across the country. Gas was really cheap. It was the mid 90s. (laughs) I was camping in national forests, which was free. I was living outside in nature, spending a lot of time doing some soul searching. And during that time, I found I took on a very austere meditation and yoga practice. Mm -hmm. I was meditating four times a day. I changed my lifestyle. I became vegetarian and vegan, and I went to raw food for a time, which I'm not anymore. And then at that point, I found herbalism, and I found out that you can use plants for healing. And this opened up like a whole new world for me. This was my first step on the plant path. So I began to study wild plants and their uses and healing plants. And I took a few classes. I think more importantly is that I developed a relationship with these plants. Being a sensitive person, I found that I could, when we spend time with plants, we're able to be seen by the plants. The plants can witness us in a way if we take the time to listen. And I think connecting with the plants for me was very nurturing And it brought me back to this, it helped connect me to that sense of awe and reverence that I had when I was a very young child and being out in the forest. So in a way, the plants were helping to bring me back home to myself. So, you know, I don't consider myself to be an herbalist. I wouldn't ever call myself an herbalist because there's so many plants that you can know about. Right. there's thousands of plants that mm-hmm. can be used and there's so many things to learn about plants, but I know a lot about the plants that grow around me and the plants that I know about do a really good job supporting me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So I, I use a great handful of plants that go around me to support my digestive system, my nervous system, my immune system, reproductive system. I treat colds and flus and wound care and aches, aches and pains. So this is sort of my knowledge of herbalism. It's vast with the plants that grow around me. So this is where my knowledge um, plants comes from. But what I want to say is it's really, for me, it's this deep relationship of having the plants around me. And when we can sit with plants, they can teach us things. And the spirit of the plant is what can come and help us. That's been a big teaching for me. So I'm having, so I may not be an herbalist, but I do, I make nearly all my own medicine. I make tinctures and salves and oils. I've been doing this for decades and syrups. And I believe that the medicine that, that I make is more potent and effective than medicine I can buy because it's infused with my energy. I know the quality of the plants. I've tended the plants. I know um, the whole process has been tended with care. And I believe everyone can make really beautiful medicine for themselves. And I just love the process of, of making medicine. So that's sort of my background with herbalism. And the question is, you know, how did it all come together? I've been walking this plant path of herbal healing and using plants for natural dye in my creative life. So this was happening simultaneously. I remember this moment, it was like 10 years ago now. And the moment that dawned on me when it came into my consciousness that the plants that I love that have brought so much healing to my life are the same plants that I use to make color that I wear in the fibers that I dye. And that oh might sound gosh. very simple, but it was this mind-blowing moment how all these pieces of my life came together when the vision of where your medicine really hit me. And I spoke about that concept before. I was so amazed that I found myself in such alignment with the plants on a healing level, on a creative level, spiritual level, on a physical level, on all the levels. It was just this huge epiphany moment. That's what I'm doing with my life. 
And it's funny because I never could have predicted it if you had told me when I was that young person in high school that you would be an artist who works with plants. I never could have imagined how that would ever be possible. But somehow, almost unintentionally, I became one. Despite myself, I became an artist who works with plants. And I really feel like the plants just called me and they just guided me throughout my life. The plants called me back to myself. They called me home and they continue to guide me to this day. So beautiful and so poetic. (laughs) You're saying that you're not an herbalist, but (laughs) you're making uh, your own medicine. You are knowledgeable about a lot of things that grow around you. Tell me that you are. And (laughs) so perhaps you're not a clinical herbalist and you're not seeing others, but you're a true herbalist that takes it to the next step with your art. So that's absolutely beautiful. I think I could consider myself, yes, a folk herbalist. If there's a serious health condition, I would want to see a clinical herbalist, but I feel comfortable. Thank you for, for mentioning that. I appreciate that. What I really want to share about plant dye or any traditional way of working with, whether it's basket making or even preparing herbal medicine, I feel mm-hmm. like it opens up your body to the cellular memory of who you are. And it's it's in your cellular memory. It's in your DNA. It's wisdom. Since I've engaged in the work in this way, I've been able to access a lot of wisdom. There's been a lot of remembering happening in my body. You mentioned also several times this whole idea of growing plants. When you came to Vermont, your family started a farm. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about this. Tell us about how this vision came together. All right. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I was living on the land here and I was growing dye plants and learning about dye plants. And so while I was a Waldorf teacher, I also simultaneously started a retreat center on the land. It was Twin Pond Retreat Center for Wellness and Sustainable Living. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to welcome people here. And I provided like nourishing food and yoga and meditation and just time to like reset and do healing work. I was really, that was really important to me. And that grew, that center grew to where I was hosting like yoga retreats and permaculture workshops and weddings. And I had like three apprentices living here and it just got really big. And that was the beginning of this journey. I was no longer enjoying being on the land and I was not flourishing because Mm -hmm. I was living so much. And so I got sick Mm-hmm. In 2011, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. And so I just had this realization that I can't take care of everyone. I can't do this anymore. So I closed the retreat center. And at the same time I did that, I knew that my path was to work with plants. I knew mm-hmm. that was what I needed to be doing in this life. I had this vision of plant spirit fibers. And I I remember I purchased the domain name, plantspiritfibers.com. I didn't know what it was. I just had a picture there for years. Then I I went on a journey. I did some traveling. I met my husband. We did some traveling. We had a daughter who's five now. That was a big part, a big part of this journey. The week my daughter was born, my husband and I, we started an herb farm together. Mm. And I thought we would be herb farming together. It was this beautiful vision. But of course, I was thrown right into motherhood and I was not able to farm. I gave everything to being a mother to my daughter. The transformation of becoming a mother for me was the biggest thing in my whole life. It took a lot of, yeah, it, it took a lot of work and it was, I loved it, but it just, it was a huge thing for me. And then when she was about 18 months old, I found my way back to my dye pots. I mean, when mm-hmm. I was pregnant, I was dyeing yarn. I knit all her little booties and her little sweater mm-hmm. and her blanket. And, but then when she was born, I couldn't do it. I had to take a break. But when she was a year and a half, I found myself back in the dye pots. I, it's like my husband, he was still growing the dye plants for me. And we didn't even know why. We were just, we, I just need to always have these plants in my life. And so I was at the dye pot and I was stirring the pot and I just had this epiphany. It was like, yes, like this, this is where I need to be. It was like this Mm -hmm. huge, like, 
like, don't forget, this is what your passion is, like being with the plants and the colors and the dye pots. And then right after that experience, I had all these visions about what I was going to do, the products I was going to create and how I was going to do it all. And then right after that, I got diagnosed with um, chronic late stage Lyme disease. Oh. I know. And I was like, oh no, I guess I have to go back to my healing journey again. <laughs> so I spent that winter like really doing a lot of deep, deep healing. I'm fine now. I'm, and I didn't take the drugs or the antibiotics, but I really think Lyme disease has come to evolve our immune systems. The person I was working with said, you know, you're never going to heal from Lyme disease until you understand why you got it. Mm-hmm. And she just kept impressing that on me. And it took a while, but I just was able through the work I was doing. And I was doing journeys with plants. I mean, the plants were a big part of that healing journey. I was able to see certain things in my life, um, certain patterns were making me sick. But the plants, they really helped me come into myself. Mm-hmm. It was They would always call me back. And for me, knowing who I was as an artist, they just would call me back to the dye pot. What I learned from my work with plant dye is that when we engage our bodies in old ways of doing things, it opens up our bodies to remembering our ancestral connections. I mm-hmm. feel like so many people are suffering because our cultures are broken. We don't have a connection to our lineage. A lot of people in this country and people I know, like myself, are lost. We don't know where we came from, and we don't have anyone to show us these traditional ways of living when we were more in balance and harmony with the earth. And so we have to find it on our own. My grandmother was born in Lithuania. Mm -hmm. She came here, so her father came here first, and then she came over with her mother and her brothers. So that was the only line that I actually knew about. All the other lines nobody knew or could talk about. I did Ancestry.com and I found out that I'm 50% Eastern European Jewish. And my grandfather, her husband, he was born in New York City and he didn't know where his parents were in Eastern Europe. Austria-Hungary was what he told us, but that was like a large area. So I started asking and I started putting intention and prayer and asking for my dreams to find this connection. And so I went to the International Herb Symposium this past summer, and there was an herbalist who was giving a class on Russian folk medicine from A to Z. And so I was like, that's the class I have to go to. I was so excited. I went right into the room and it was this amazing, wonderful woman, Anya Chutunik, who was teaching the class. She's from the Ukraine. And she started speaking about what life was like for her growing up in Ukraine. And just, it was so beautiful. It was just this old way of being connection with the land and the plants. And it was so simple. And as I sat there listening to her, my whole body was like vibrating. I could hardly contain the emotions hearing these stories. And it was, it was a very powerful experience. And that was only a week later, my cousin who was living in Europe also had an interest in our ancestry. He hired a genealogist to do some research. He pursued this and he found out that my grandfather's mother was born in Poland and his father was born in Ukraine. It was such a powerful experience because it was like my body knew and that was a very powerful affirmation for me. And there's been several like that. And there's one other story I have about plants and this ancestral connection, which I believe is because of developing this relationship with plants that they can open this up. So I, after hearing from Anya, the herbalist, that the plant rue, ruta, you know, this plant, I only knew this plant being related to South and Central America, but she said that it grows all over the Ukraine. And I did not know that. So that was really exciting to me. So that summer I was like, I really need to have lots of root plants. I only had one, but I wanted like a whole like 12 root plants in my garden. I wanted to start working with this plant. And so I had to find a nursery because it was too late to start the plants ourselves. So I found a nursery. It was like like an hour and a half away. 
And But they said they could meet me at a farmer's market, but I had to take my daughter to this birthday party that was an hour away in the other direction. And I was like, I just have to go get these root plants. And my husband was like, why are you doing all this? That sounds like so much work to do today. I was like, I just need to have these root plants. So I go, I take my daughter and we go to the farmer's market and I'm purchasing my 12 root plants and I'm so excited. And there's this older woman watching me purchase the plants and I'm aware of her and I buy the plants. And as I'm walking away, she comes up to me and she places her hand on my shoulder and she says, I have to tell you about these plants. I was like, yes. Oh, please. And she says, these, this plant is rue. It's the national plant of Lithuania, the country where I was born. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just like, I could hardly contain the information that she was telling me, the way she was telling me. And I said, well, that's where my grandmother was born. And so she started telling me about ways they use the plant. And then I was like, well, I think I need to get your phone number. I need, like, I didn't know what to do about this connection. And she says, my name is Dahlia without an H. And in my country, it means destiny. And it was just such an amazing experience for me of how, like if you open and you ask that the ancestors are there to listen and they will hear the call. And it, it took me a while to integrate that experience into my body and to understand. But since then, I've, I've had different journeys and I think they just were like, you love plants. That's how we're going to talk to you. We're going to through this journey. So what happened with your 12 root plants? Did you, yeah. did you use them for dyeing? Did you do well, something with them? So yeah, they're not a dye plant. As far as I know, they're not dye. But maybe next summer I should just cut some, cook it and put some fiber in. I didn't try dyeing. But I like to do rue floral bath. So I'll mm -hmm. make a tea of the rue and I'll put it in my bath or I'll pour it over me in the shower. And I made this beautiful fresh rue extract in um, mm -hmm. vodka and this mm -hmm. like this rue perfume. <laughs> I didn't know if it would work, but it is um, a beautiful way to preserve the rue in the winter months when you're sitting watching the snow fall and you don't have the fresh rue anymore. But I did harvest a whole big gallon jar of rue leaves to use in my bath all winter. So that's, that's a really important plant to me. I'm just so grateful for my connection with plants through my work with the plant dye. And I think anytime you engage with plants in some deep, meaningful way, they're going to have gifts for you. That's, that's beautiful. I want to take a quick pause here. At the start of the episode, I mentioned that Jennifer and her company Plant Spirit Fibers is kindly supporting this interview. Today, you can participate in a giveaway raffle for one of her gorgeous creations, a mini plant dyed silk scarf. To be entered into the raffle, please leave a comment on the giveaway post sharing your favorite part of this episode. Please head over to ko-fi.com slash plantloveradio or find the link in the show notes, plantloveradio.com slash 61. I will choose the winner when the next episode goes live. The software also allows you to support my work, but you do not need to be a supporter to participate in this giveaway. Now let's get back to our conversation. Jennifer, let me take you one step back. So we talked a little bit about Rue, but I want to ask you about some of the other plants that you are actually using for dyeing. When I was preparing for this conversation, I went through my own experiences in terms of plants that I am familiar with. I know that turmeric can be used, beets, walnut hulls, onions, chamomile. Can you tell us about things that you use as natural dyes? You grow a lot of them and you live in Vermont. So a lot of people that are listening might be very curious as to what they can have around them that can be used that way. Oh yeah, that's a really great question. So the plants that I use for natural dye are all what I would call like tried and true dye plants. Mm -hmm. Like things like beets, they're going to run, they're going to fade over time with mm -hmm. like light and washing. I use plants that I know are going to stay on the fibers. Mm -hmm. The most important plants in my work, I would say, are Japanese indigo, matter okay. root. I mean, those really, those two are the most important plants because they give you the blue and they give you the red. And beyond that, there are so many, many plants that give you yellow, goldenrod, weld, 
Let's see, Dyer's Greenwood, Dyer's Chamomile, Nettle, Dandelion, Comfrey, Yarrow. They're all going to give you a beautiful shade of yellow. Um, so I love working with the yellows. There are just so many. I will go back to indigo and matter, but marigold, that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite dye plants. That's mm-hmm. something that people can easily grow in their gardens. It gives a gorgeous shade of gold to almost sometimes it gets a little bit like chartreuse. It's a really, mm-hmm. really beautiful color and it's a really, it stays well. It's a beautiful dye plant. All the plants I, ha- I grow my- here in this region Dyer's coreopsis, mm-hmm. that's really easy to grow. Mm-hmm. Little tiny orange, red, and yellow flowers. There's different okay. varieties that can give brilliant oranges okay. to, use for, to make that color. Onion skin is a great dye plant. Mm-hmm. It makes gorgeous orange gold. It's a really great color. Let's see. Oh, yeah. My favorite of all, St. John's Word. Is- oh, wow. I'm sure you know about that plant and how amazing it is as mm-hmm. an herb. But as a dye plant, it is absolutely magic. There's no plant that does what this plant does. So, But you have to harvest so many, many of those little tiny yellow mm-hmm. flowers. You can only mm-hmm. use the flowers, and they have to be used absolutely fresh. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, I have some spots where I have fields of St. John's wort flower. But it, it's a tricky one because it's very hard to cultivate. They um, introduced this Klamath beetle to control the St. John's wort because it it's, it opens you up to the light. It's f- uh, phyto-photosensitive. Mm-hmm. And so some animals would eat it and they would get terrible sunburn. Mm-hmm. You've heard about this. So the plant is very hard to cultivate, but if you can find it in the wild, it's wonderful. And it's really tricky because it can show up in one spot. You know, it loves disturbed soil. And this happened to me. I was like, ah, I found my source of St. John's work forever. This field is going to be great. And then I went back the next summer and it was gone. And then I had to find another spot. And so I have these fields near my house. And every summer I'm like, where is it going to be this year? It's like this seed bank. I don't know if it just waits for like an area to pop up. I guess it's disturbing the soil. Fortunately, there's a Christmas tree farm near me. So he's often tilling up new fields and it grows among the Christmas trees. Mm -hmm. So that's a good place to grow up. But so you have to harvest a large amount of these little yellow flowers and it makes three different colors. You can get three different colors um, from one pot of the yellow flowers, depending on your mordant. So, and we can talk about mordants, but I use, um, so I use alum. That's the only mordant that I use. What is mordant? So yeah, mordant is something that you use to prepare the fibers to receive color. Mm-hmm. I, that's all I can really tell you. There's probably okay. some chemistry behind the molecular structure of the fibers, but it, I think it opens up those fibers to receive and hold the color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I use alum because it, it is not toxic, but what I do when I prepare the mordant to make it even less toxic, if it ever was, is I do, I set up a big tub with whatever. So say I have 500 grams of fiber, I do a 10% solution. So 50 grams. I dissolve the alum in hot water. I pour it in the tub, stir it, and I put my fiber in the tub and I'll have it sit there for 24 or 48 hours. And then that takes up 50% of the mordant. Mm -hmm. in that process. Then I'll put 250 grams of fiber in again, and I'll keep exhausting the mordant bath. So there's very little left and alum Mm -hmm. is acidifies the soil. So when I've gotten most of it out, I'll pour it on my blueberries because they like Ah. soil. So it's very non-toxic. So I prepare fibers with the alum mordant. So when I have this bath, after I strain out these yellow flowers and anyone can do this, based on these simple instructions. You put in the fiber that's been mordanted in the alum. You can take it out of the alum. You can dry it and use it later, or you can use it right away. But I put that fiber in the pot, and you pull out the absolutely most gorgeous color of chartreuse you could ever imagine. I'm a chartreuse person. I love that color, that kind of gold green color. And then it takes about 20 minutes. And then you take that out, and then you take a fiber that has not been mordanted in anything. It's just plain fiber. And you put that in, you have to simmer it for an hour. It takes a long time to 
for this process. And you get these lovely rose mauve colors come oh, wow. out. Yeah, so beautiful. And then you take that out and now you will no longer get that chartreuse green. That will just, it doesn't exist in the pot anymore. And now when you put a fiber in that has been mordanted with alum, you get these amazing orange colors. So you get chartreuse, rose mauve, and orange, all from this one pot. It's amazing. No other plant does this. And I mean, as you know, it's a really magical plant. So that was my first love affair was when I did this with the St. John's where I went through this whole process. And I don't use it too much because it's just so much plant material is required. But if you want to see it on my website, you can, I have scarves that show the color. That's amazing. When we started talking about St. John's Wort, in my mind, I'm thinking about the yellow flowers and the St. John's Wort oil when it's made, the, the beautiful red that it turns. And I'm like, okay, are you going to talk about red? And so that, that pink, that mauve color. So now I understand how it comes through in the dyeing process. That is just fascinating. So any other favorites? So St. John's Wort is one of them, but as far as those that you make frequently? Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to love indigo. That's like the, the plant dye of all plant dyes. It's just so amazing that we get blue. You're right. I mean, most of the plants in nature, most green leaves in nature are going to make yellow, which is really interesting to me too, because plant leaves are involved in photosynthesis with the sun So people think, oh, green leaves are going to make green, but no, they actually make yellow, which is sort of like revealing the hidden light inside of the plants. Mm -hmm. It's actually beautiful. But the Japanese indigo you use, and I use Japanese indigo, Persicaria tinctoria, because it grows as an annual here in Vermont. It grows very easily. It actually, it has all these root nodules that actually really feed the soil. It, mm-hmm. it has been loves to grow it because it's such a great um, cover crop to prepare for whatever's going to grow next. It just really mm-hmm. feeds and enriches the soil. So these um, green leaves, they contain within them blue, mm-hmm. but it's not, I, mean, I don't want to say it's not intuitive. It's not an obvious process. And the amazing thing about indigo is that there, there are plants, there must be like 20 or at least 20 varieties of plants that contain indigo all over the planet. Every continent has a plant that contains indigo and every culture has figured out how to extract the blue and they didn't talk to each other. And it's a very complicated alchemical process. Traditionally it was done with fermented urine. You can't just cook these leaves and get the blue. You have to ferment the leaves or cook the leaves. The fermented urine would raise the pH while removing the oxygen so this plant, I know I could, I could, I could give a whole class on indigo. I'll, I'll just stick to the basics. So you have to remove the oxygen, and then you make a dye vat. And when it's ready, the vat is yellow. It goes from blue to yellow. And then when you put your fiber into the dye vat, into the yellow dye vat, you pull it out, and it's yellow. And then as the air hits the fiber, it literally turns blue right before your eyes. It's absolutely magic. And that's what oxidizes. That's what binds the color to the fiber. There's no mordant involved in this. Really? Yeah. So that's why indigo is really fun. You can put anything in the dye pot, any natural fiber. So it comes out yellow, but it turns blue as it oxidizes. That's what you said. So with a lot of the natural dyes, you briefly mentioned beets that they are going to wash away. So are those that you're talking about, the clothing that you make, the colors do stay on them, right? Yeah. So I only use traditional dye plants that have been stood the test of time. There's a whole history, a long history about indigo trade and using that. And those colors have withstood the test of time. Another important plant is madder root. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what, when you think of those beautiful old Persian rugs, it's called turkey red. Mm-hmm. That's the plant they were using to create those gorgeous red colors. And there's all different kinds of methods for extracting the deep, red, rich red colors. So we grow madder root. It's a really 
It's a hardy, very hardy perennial that grows great in this climate. It loves nutrients, so compost. You want to feed your soil if you want to get nice roots. You have to wait three seasons before you harvest the root. So you have to invest some time into waiting for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it looks like, like cleavers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of sticky. It's got the whirl of leaves and it sort of has that Velcro-y as you walk by it. It's a creeping plant. So if you're just getting started and you just want to forage plants, you can get a lot of lovely colors. But if you want to really take it to that level of like brights and rainbow colors, and then you really have to look to the cultivated plants like indigo and matter. That's what's going to give you the, mm-hmm. the full spectrum. and The range. Yeah. And there's some plants I that are very common in the plant dye roll that I don't use because I can't grow them. Um, okay. But I don't feel limited by it. I feel happy with my my palette thus far. Okay. All right. That sounds awesome. So I want to change direction slightly to talk a little bit about the techniques that you utilize. So we talked about the colors, but if any of our audience go to your website, and I will ask you to mention the name towards the end of the episode again, they will see three main techniques that you're using. Can you please talk about them? So, well, the base of everything that you'll see is um, dyeing fiber with plants. So the base of my scarves is dyed with plants to get different colors. And I'll have some that are single color, but I really love to create what I call the ombre. Sometimes a scarf will be going three different dye pots. Like I might put it in like a beautiful goldenrod and then... I'll put the end of the scarf in to get deep yellow and then I'll fade it out. I'll pull it out and I'll keep the other half white. And then I have this yellow fading into white. And then I might put the other half in a pot of matter root. So then I'll put the white side in the matter root and I'll slowly like get a nice transition. And it's tricky because some plants, if you hold the silk in too long, you'll get a line. I make sure the silk is not in one position for too long. So I create this gradual transition of color. So then I have a scarf that's red fading over into white and yellow fading into white in the middle. And then that whole piece, I then will put in the indigo pot. And so then the indigo will make it a beautiful green fading to blue, fading to purple. Wow. So you can make so many color combinations just from red, yellow, and blue, as you can imagine, depending how you mix it on the silk. So for me, there's just endless um, possibilities of color. I mean, to this day, I've been doing this you know, I, I, for over a decade, and I still, at the end of the season, I'm like, oh, I'm so excited about that combination. I've never thought about putting them together that way. Mm-hmm. I can't believe there's still color combinations I'm excited about. And I have to wait the whole year till I can do it again because I work outside from May until the beginning of October, I have an outside dye studio. Okay. And it's just too messy. I could never work inside. Just water spilling everywhere. You have lines of silk everywhere. I can't imagine how I would ever do that inside. So I have like a very concentrated season in which I work. So that's the base of everything is the color. And then onto these pieces, I have been exploring the method of eco-printing Mm-hmm. But I also, I like to call botanical printing, mm-hmm. but it's well known out there as eco printing. And so this just, once I discovered this, it was all over. It was just so much fun. I gather fresh plants and I lay the plants on the silk. So this is already dyed silk, right? So it's already dyed except for the indigo. I do the indigo after the print. That's the only color okay. I do afterwards because the The heat, as you'll hear, of the steamer is a little too high for the indigo. Okay. So, yeah, I might have a scarf that is like red or pink or white, and I lay plants on like marigold and sumac leaf and rose and St. John's Word. I lay the plants out on a long table on the silk. Mm -hmm. Then I get a wooden dowel, and I wrap. You can put a layer of another layer of cloth or parchment paper or paper so the plants don't repeat themselves on the silk. Right. And I get a wooden dowel. You can watch this whole video on my website. <laughs> I, I have, and I'm definitely going to include it in the show notes because it, it's a fascinating experience. So, but please continue. So yeah, you roll the dowel up till you get a little bundle. 
Uh-huh. And you wrap it with string and you place that dowel in a steamer. I have used two bricks and a turkey roaster and you lay the bundle there and you steam it for an hour or 90 minutes. And then you take it out of the steamer and every time it's like Christmas, it's so mm. fun or it's your birthday, whatever holiday you celebrate and you get to open your little package and you have no idea how the prints have taken to the fiber and you unroll it and you get to see the images of the plants. And it's only because the pigments in the plants themselves have transferred to the silk. They're not dipped in any dye. Mm-hmm. And it's just absolutely magic to me to see what happens. Not all plants will print. So there's some, and it has to do with the tannin level in the plants and who knows what it is. But so I knew a few would work. And then I've just been experimenting to see like what plants I love. And I've had some disappointments. Some plants I love do not print. And that's too bad. But there's so many plants that do. And then the really fun thing for me, because I use plant dye color for the background is that the plants react with the color. So like ash leaf maple, that if you put that on a matter root dyed scarf, it takes the, the color away. So it doesn't print the image onto the color, but it removes the red from the scarf. That was just an accident. I found that out. But then when I put that piece with the ash leaf maple reliefs or whatever you want to call that resist, when I put that in the indigo, then the places where it took the color away take up that blue. So then you have blue there and where it was red around it becomes purple. And it's just like so many more colors become available by working with the printing of the plants. There's still so many ideas I have. Again, the end of the season, I discovered some new plant printing combinations. These prints are so gorgeous. And I'll definitely include the link, but I will also uh, include specific places on your website where you actually do the eco printing. And then there is a third technique that you're using, right? So this is felting? Yeah, I think felting for me has been like the pinnacle fiber art. That is like I saw Nuno felting specifically a while ago. It just so much love for this medium because Mm -hmm. it's very um, textural. So what it is, is you're using silk and wool together. And what happens is when you, you're felting them together, when you felt wool onto silk or silk onto the wool, the wool has little barbs in it, has little like in the hairs. And when you agitate the wool with soapy water, And the silk, the barbs are going to go through the silk and attach to the silk. And Mm -hmm. the wool is going to shrink. And what's going to happen is the silk is then going to like bunch up and ruffle and like just do these amazing effects. And because you're using silk, the felt can be very flowy. It's not stiff like you think of felt. So you can Mm -hmm. make garments with it. And when you're creating it, it's it's just very tactile. It's like sculptural. Like you're mm-hmm. you're like I'll ruffle the silk here and I'll overlap it here. And I'm all about the ruffles and texture. You also can just do a straight piece of silk and not have any of that. It would shrink a little. But I love to have texture. So and yeah, I'm just I'm super in love with felting. It's an incredibly physical experience because you have to use your whole body to roll. You're rolling. You wrap it up. And then you roll it for like hundreds and hundreds of times and you flip it and you roll it. I mean, it it will take me a whole week to make one garment because um, laying it out takes a long time. And you have to slam it on something. You have to throw it and it's just very um, physical. So it takes a lot of um, work to create a piece, but... uh. But, and once again, the colors come from oh, you're yes. dyeing it initially or you're dyeing it after. I would imagine you're dyeing it first. So I'll usually just grab silk scarves from my inventory. If they get a stain or a hole in them, I'm like, oh, I just felt them. And so I'll, most of the work is dyed before the wool and the silk. But sometimes I will do a scarf and I'll like do an ombre dye on top of it once it's been felted. I also, we have, we had Angora goats. So I had this beautiful curly mohair from our goats and I would put that into the scarves and then I put the whole scarf in the dye and, you know, the curly hairs would turn a different color from the silk. There's just, there's so many ways to do it. So you can dye before you do the felting or you can dye the whole piece after. And sometimes I will felt a piece. I don't know if you saw the eco-printed shawls, but I will print onto felt. I'll do eco-printing right onto the felt. Wow. There'll be a lot more of that next season. I'm really excited about 
Okay, that's awesome. That brings me to my next question. So how has your work evolved over time? I think in the beginning, there was just so much time trying to learn what I was doing to get Mm -hmm. the basics. And then after a while, it was like, oh, yeah, this is in me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I know how to do this. And then I could be more free in experimenting. But what also came out of that is my love for teaching. I started to teach classes in plant dye. And I did that for many years. And then I think when you teach, you start to understand what you've learned and you start to understand why you're doing what you do. And I started teaching at herbal conferences and it is so much fun to teach plant dye to herbalists. And so I think that's one way that my work has evolved is that, and of something I'm really excited about for the future is bringing more teaching, more about this idea of working with plants to people through classes. I think my art just continues to get more and more refined and higher quality. So there were certain things that you loved as a child, but then you ended up studying graphic design, becoming a teacher and then finding your passion. And it's always very difficult for us to predict what will happen going forward. But it's so easy to look back and to see how all these things that you have experienced and learned created who you are today. It is so incredible. I mean, if you would have told me when I was young or even in my 20s that you're going to be a fiber artist making plant-eyed art, I couldn't have imagined. (laughs) I feel like the next step in my work is how to help people find their way through plants back to their ancestral connections. Because I really believe that this ancestral connection has been broken. It's been lost for many people. I mean, so many people have been displaced from their land, whether it's, you know, colonialism and imperialism, these connections have been lost. And like myself, we don't really know how to find them again. And we feel it so deep longing in our being to have this connection again. And I really believe the plants can help us find our way back when we're engaging in these traditional ways of working with plants, that it can bring us into that relationship again. I had that moment waking up recently. I was like, oh, you're doing exactly what you've always wanted to do your whole life, but never had the courage or ability to manifest it. But somehow the plants are just like, come back, like come back to us. So much gratitude that I'm able to work on the land and work with plants in this manner. And I'm still trying to figure out how I'm doing it. You know, as an artist, it's hard to know your avenues. I was doing the craft show circuit and that was incredibly exhausting and trying to do retail or online. But the work is so magical, absolutely magical. So that brings me to the next question. You mentioned that you really enjoy teaching others. How can people start working with dyes? Is it hard to do? What would someone need to get started? Okay. Well, it's very simple to get started. You need a pot, you know, five-gallon pot, or maybe it doesn't have to be that big. Um, a heat source. You need some plants. You could start with goldenrod. It's a lovely plant to start with. And plants are always fresh or no? Oh, that's a good question. No, they they do not always have to be fresh. It depends on what plant you're using. Like I said, the St. John's wort does need to be fresh. I've only used goldenrod fresh, but I imagine it would have color if you dried it. Coreopsis flowers can be dried. Matter root certainly can be dried. The indigo has to be used fresh. Onion skin, you know, that's dried. Marigold can be dried. Yeah, so there's options. So you just need the basic cooking equipment just to get started because really all you're doing is cooking plants in a pot and straining it and putting fiber in. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are the basic tools to start experimenting with. I think the mordant is really good if you want your colors to be clear and stay. Okay. Um, I explained that process earlier. And then if you want to get into indigo, I would read about it or take a class. That's the only one that's going to be a little more involved, but there's so much information right now. I feel like plant dye has become 
more popular. I feel like there's a lot of blogs and websites. There's a lot of resources now than I remember 10 or 15 years ago. And there's a lot of really good books. I don't know if you want any book recommendations. I really do. If you have a, a couple of either books or resources that you would recommend to someone who is hoping to start, yeah. that would be awesome. Some of my favorite books to get started with. Rita Buchanan. She has a book. I think it's called The Dyer's Garden. It's a little book and it's so simple. And it just catalogs each plant, how to do it, the ratio of plant to fiber, which is not something I worry about too much. I just do a lot of plants and I just feel it out. But I think that book has some ratios. Wild Color by Jenny Dean. That's a really good book. Rebecca Burgess has a beautiful book, Harvesting Color. That's an excellent resource for plant dye and also the sustainability aspect of plants for natural dye. And she talks about the fiber shed movement. I think those are really good books to get started. Perfect. Thank you. I think that this will be useful information. Some resources to get dye material. Earth Guild, North Carolina sells like that Mordant, Dharma Trading Company. Those are two places where you can buy dye supplies. Okay. Dharma Trading Company also sells silk and clothing that you can dye if you just want to purchase some things and start dyeing stuff right away. That's beautiful. Thank you. So as we're coming to an end, I have a couple of more questions for you. If someone wants to learn more about you and from you, so classes and things of that type, can you share with our listeners your website, any of your social media? And then my last question will be, do you have any words of wisdom for our listeners, whether in terms of natural dyes or just this beautiful art that you're creating? Okay, great. You can find me on my website, which is plantspiritfibers.com. And that will have all the information about my schedule. If I'm teaching, you can sign up for my newsletter there, which I Mm -hmm. send maybe twice a year just to let people know what's coming. You can find me on Facebook, Plant Spirit Fibers, Instagram, Plant Spirit Fibers. If you want to follow what's happening, That sounds awesome. Yes. And so any words of wisdom? Hmm. Yeah, I think the words of wisdom is to form a relationship with the plants, you know, find a way that speaks to you where you can start to deepen your relationship with the plants, whether it's plant dye or um, whatever it is. Connecting with the plants brings us back to the earth. And I think that's really what is needed in this time that we're living in is that deep connection to earth and healing. And I think that the plants have a lot of wisdom to offer in regards to this. So go hang out with some plants. Jennifer, thank you so, so much. Thank you for the time. And also thank you for your amazing art. Thank you, Lana. My gratitude to you for joining me for this conversation with Jennifer Johnson. For all the bonuses, giveaway, and resources, please head over to the show notes, plantloveradio.com slash 61. Are you listening to Plant Love Radio for the first time? Please subscribe to the podcast to seamlessly get future episodes downloaded to your device. I'm so thrilled to introduce you to many amazing guests and topics. And of course, nothing says thank you better than sharing this show with a friend who might enjoy it and giving us a five-star rating and review. Thank you so much in advance. The music you hear in the introduction was written by a neighbor of mine, David Scholl, and is called Something About Cat. My deepest gratitude to Bill Gilligan for this opportunity to play it. Thanks again for being here today. I really appreciate you. Till the next time, thank you for loving plants and planting love.